We turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4 as we journey through this epistle. We begin at verse 1 and read through verse 5. In Jesus' name, 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Let's pray. Father, these are... Words that you have given to us by the inspiration of your Spirit. And I pray that the words of my mouth today, the meditations of our hearts, would be pleasing in your sight. And may Jesus Christ receive all the praise and the honor and the glory. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. There was a news article on WCCO's website this week that caught my eye. It said, at Augsburg, Bill Nye talks how science can save the world. really struck me because Augsburg College was the school of the former Lutheran Free Church, of which we have our roots in the AFLC. And Augsburg College was started back in the late 1800s to train pastors for ministry. And I just can't imagine Sven Oftedal and Georg Sverdrup saying that science can save the world. But that's where we've come in this culture in which we live in today. And that's just one example we could give of many (laughs) Uh, Schools that at one time were faithful to the Word of God that today are no longer preaching the truth. And they're scattered across our country, many of them started by churches. Schools that no longer honor the Word of God, no longer lift up the name of Jesus. Science can save the world, huh? Paul tells us, first of all, not to be surprised. Don't be surprised because some will fall away from the truth. When people fall away from the truth, it saddens our hearts, and rightly so. But Paul tells us that it shouldn't surprise us. He says in verse 1, The Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the truth. Now when he says that the Spirit explicitly says, it's really the same thing as saying that the Scriptures say that, because the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and in many places we are warned that there will come a time when men will fall away from the truth. Matthew chapter 24 was read this morning where Jesus said that that indeed will happen. 
Uh, Paul warns in many places, uh, such as here as well as other parts of the, these pastoral epistles, that people will wander from the truth. The Apostle Peter warned of this, Jude warned of this, John warned of this. Almost everywhere you look in the New Testament, you are confronted with this truth that some will fall away from the faith. I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you see that phrase, fall away. But if you get the impression that it is somewhat of an accidental thing, that is not what Paul is saying here at all. The word translated fall away means to depart from, and it refers to a purposeful, deliberate departure from a former position. John MacArthur puts it this way. He says that apostate is not someone struggling to believe, but one who willfully abandons the biblical faith he had once professed willfully abandons the biblical faith he had once professed. I was reading this week about Benjamin Jowett, the Oxford theologian who abandoned orthodox teaching while he was still involved in the school there. And we are told that when they recited the Apostles' Creed, he would say in a loud voice, I, and then he'd say, used to, believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And so still involved in, in that ministry at Oxford, still involved in, 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 a, in a place that at that time had honored the Word of God, here was a man who no longer accepted the truth. And perhaps this is what Paul is referring to in verse 2 when he talks about the hypocrisy of liars. They infiltrate Bible-believing ministries, but they don't really believe what the Bible teaches. So don't be surprised. Some will fall away from the faith. Secondly, Paul says, don't be deceived. The devil is clever. If you wonder why people fall away from the truth, Paul gives the answer in verse 1. He says that those who fall away from the truth are those who are paying attention to deceitful spirits And doctrines of demons, he says. Deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. In other words, there is a demonic deception here. And Satan is very clever. As the enemy of our souls, he will do anything he can to deceive us. And one of the ways that he deceives people today is through human agents. They claim to be men of the truth... But they are liars. They are false teachers. And Paul describes them in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in this way. He says, for such men, verse 13, are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And then he goes on to say, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Deceitfulness. Deception. And it's running rampant in our culture today where people are no longer standing on the Word of God, but they are being deceived by angels 
of light, false teachers. So who might these people be in our day? One author says they may be religious leaders and appear outwardly good and devout. They may teach in an ostensibly Christian college or seminary. They may pastor a church or write theological books or commentaries. Though they wear the mask of religion, even Christianity, and wear a mask of piety, they do not serve God but Satan. So just because someone carries the title pastor or professor or teacher, that does not mean they are necessarily true to the Word of God. They are all over the place, and they are disguising themselves as angels of light. And Paul says that these men deliberately deceive others, And they are not bothered by their hypocrisy because he says in verse 2 that their consciences are seared. He says, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Some suggest Paul's metaphor here is that of a slave branded with with his owner's marks. And so the false teachers, according to this view, carried Satan's brand in their conscience. It seems better, however, to understand this as a reference to the burning or the numbing of the conscience. And the word seared is actually the word from which we get our word cauterize. If you've ever had something cauterized, you know that if you have bleeding, they'll cauterize that to burn that, to sear that, to stop the bleeding. And Paul says that is what is happening to the consciences of these men who deliberately deceive. They're numb, they're, they're, they're burned, they're, they're, they're cauterized. And they go about in their deception with no, no problem whatsoever. Leading people astray. With, with no remorse whatsoever, because their conscience has been seared. So the false teachers are used by Satan to deceive others, because they've got no guilt left anymore. The conscience has been seared. So don't be surprised. There will be false teachers who fall away. Don't be deceived. The devil is clever. And then thirdly, Paul says, don't be defrauded. God has given us good things to enjoy. It's kind of interesting. We might have expected Paul to follow his comments about doctrines of demons with some examples like, you know, denying the Trinity or the deity of Christ. But Satan is very subtle, and he seeks to gain ground in areas that might more easily be yielded. And Paul gives some examples here, actually two examples in verse 3, that of avoiding marriage and abstaining from certain foods. In verse 3 he says, Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. A particular type of false teaching that Paul is addressing here is a form of what is called asceticism. Asceticism involves in abstaining from certain pleasures for the purpose of pursuing spiritual goals. 
And the ascetics teach that a deeper level of satisfaction or deeper level of fulfillment is to be found in, in, in uh, just denying yourself of, of certain things. If I don't do this, if I don't do that, if I deny myself this, then I show how self-disciplined I am and how much more spiritual I am than, be, than other just regular believers. And the problem here is that they are denying themselves things that God declared to be good. And they claim that it is essential if you are going to be truly spiritual. And so they forbid marriage and they forbid certain foods. Now, there is no command in Scripture that everyone should be married. In fact, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul tells us that some are given a calling to be single, which enables them to give themselves fully to the Lord's work. But forbidding a person to be married has no place in Scripture. And yet you find people today that will say, you know, I am so spiritual, I'm going to forbid anybody being married. That is not the teaching of God's Word. Nor is it the teaching of God's Word regarding food or certain diet, things like that. If you, if you don't eat this, you'll, you'll be more spiritual. And maybe you've run into those people before who are following still the, the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. And, and uh, you know, they say we do it because we love the Lord, but they are really uh, forbidding themselves something that God has said is, is good. God created it to be, to be good. Colossians chapter 2, Paul addresses this. In verse 16, he says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And then a little bit later in the chapter, verse 20, he says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. Then he goes on to get at the root of the problem here in verse 23. He says, These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And so Paul says, really, the root of this is pride. It, it makes me look more spiritual. If I don't do this, or if I don't eat that, then, then I'm obviously on a little bit higher level than you are as a Christian. I don't, you know, I don't eat pork, or I don't drink coffee, or Coke, or whatever else it is. You know, people have all these lists of things that if you really are spiritual... And yet, what does Paul say? He says, everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the Word of God and prayer. And so forbidding what God says is good is wrong. 
God is never properly worshipped by denying His gifts. <laughs> Every good and perfect gift is from above. And if we say, no, 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 God, I don't want that because if I don't do that, I'm going to be more spiritual. God says, that is not right. And really, when it comes down to it, it really becomes an attack on the gospel itself. As if what Jesus Christ did on the cross isn't quite enough. The finished work of Jesus on the cross isn't quite enough. There's something else you must add to that to be really spiritual. I am so thankful that when Jesus died on the cross, He said, It is finished. The plan of salvation was complete. What He did there on the cross gives me a right standing before God. It has nothing to do with my good works, but His work that He accomplished for me. I heard of a young man who went to his pastor in great distress about his spiritual needs. And and he said, Sir, can you tell me what I must do to find peace? And the pastor replied, he said, young man, you're too late. And he said, you mean I'm too late to be saved? Oh, no, he said, but you're too late to do anything about it because Jesus did it 2,000 years ago. Oh, thank you. Jesus paid it all, we sing, right? All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. So don't let anybody tell you that it's Jesus plus something else. That what Jesus did on the cross wasn't quite enough, and that you need to add something to that. Avoiding this or avoiding that. Now, when we're saved and we love Jesus, there are certain things we're going to turn away from. But we're not saved because of that. We're saved because of Jesus. The sacrifice that He made for us on the cross. So don't be surprised. There will be those who fall away from the truth. Do not be deceived. Satan is very clever and he will seek to lead us astray. And don't be defrauded. God has given us good things to enjoy and gratefully receive them as a gift from God's gracious hand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we live in a world today that is fastly, quickly deserting the the truth of your word. We don't want to be deceived, Lord. Help us to be men and women of your word. Help us to be like the Berean Christians who search the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true to your word. Help us to be in the book, day by day, in your word, and acknowledging your goodness in our life and receiving the gifts that you give us, rejoicing in your wonderful provision for our salvation and your provision for our daily needs. Thank you, Jesus, that you paid it all, all to you we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain but you washed it as white as snow. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.